we're going to study this next week is a letter from a guy to a guy. Okay? It was a letter. A couple of principles that we learned last week that we're going to learn very strongly in the book of Titus, right, were that, that Paul wants Titus to understand and then share with the people of Crete, we'll get to that in a minute, that they are to live kingdom down, not culture up. Kingdom down, not culture up. They are to live as though they really believe who Jesus is and they really want to be more like Jesus and they are to look different in the culture that they live in. And the second thing we learned was that, that um, Paul is also telling them, telling Titus, who's then going to share this with these Cretan churches, that you guys need to straighten up. You need to straighten up because you, you've professed your belief, you've started these churches, but you guys are out of control. And so he's going to be very specific, and we're going to learn a lot of really good truths about how they're to straighten up and to do good. Okay, Straighten up, do good, kingdom down, not culture up. That was last week. Well, this week, we, we, we are going to learn a lot about Paul from his own words, but there's a couple of things I want to remind you about our guy, Paul. Um, first thing I want to tell you before I forget, when you walk out the door, a lot of you did this, the Ephesians study in the fall, and so we did a big background on Paul, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to I'm shorten that and revise it a little bit for this time, but I have printed out a little timeline of the life of Paul for you, and you can take it, and it's really helpful because it gives... Um, it gives certain books of the Bible and certain time frames, and you can kind of see the order of stuff. And so as we go through the study, the study, and we look at these letters, and we refer back to things that happen in the Acts of Apostles, that you're going to be able to go, oh, yeah, man, I know that happened about right here, and it didn't happen about right here, and so it'll make sense. Okay? So as you leave, be sure and get one of these. But here's a couple things I want you to remember about Paul as we launch into this part on Acts where he talks about himself. It doesn't say this in this week's readings, but it's important for us to understand, and it gives us some great context into what he says and what the people do and how they react. He was a Pharisee. Now, before he became a believer in Jesus, which we're going to talk about in a minute, because remember he talks about it, the whole Damascus Road thing, before he was a believer, he was considered a Pharisee. And what a Pharisee was, they're known for being really, really knowledgeable and zealous for the law, for God's law. Okay, so they honored God by what they did outwardly. They, they, let's put it this way, they're the people that, 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 that look really good and clean and they seem to have the checkboxes right, and the, and, and, but their heart is not following after the Lord. They're merely just doing things because they think they're going to earn something. That's what Pharisees were in a nutshell. Um, it's relatively easy to do the right things. It's relatively easy to know the right things. Rule followers, you know, you, you can see a rule, follow it. But here's the crazy thing. We can all obey rules of the community, and yet our hearts can be really far away from God. And they were consumed with rules, and they missed the one who came and set all the rules right. The Pharisees at this time, Paul, before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, knew all the things, knew all the rules, had all the words memorized, but missed Jesus. Do we still have Pharisees living in our day now, yeah. Do all the things, look a certain way, but miss Jesus. That was Paul. So as you think through the words that he's sharing, I want you to remember that. Remember that he had this very distinct background. And, and the fact that, um, that he's considered Saul, the Hebrew name, he's considered Paul because he was a Roman citizen, is also important. Because he has two audiences that both hear him. 
There's no accidents. Well, that is who we're going to look at today, Paul. We're going to look at the book of Acts. Well, I thought this was interesting as I was looking at the book of Acts, since we're not studying that after today. It, you know, the thing that struck me, the word that, that came to me was, I was like, this is not a spectator sport. Amen? It's not a spectator sport. The book of Acts, it's, I'm just going to give you a couple quick facts so you can know this going forward, because we'll probably refer to it from time to time during the course of our study. It was, it was a historical narrative, which means it was a story in the beginning, and it goes through and has a middle and has an end. Okay, it's like telling a story, and it was written by Luke, and Luke was a physician, and in fact, he was Paul's personal physician. Don't you find that interesting? Hope he doesn't give us any medical facts. That's cool. I don't really want to know those things. It was written about the, the history of the first 30 years of the Christian church. See, Acts was written about what happened right after Jesus came, had his ministry, he died, he was buried, he was crucified, died, buried, raised again, and then we see the church going on without his physical presence on earth, right? That's what the book of Acts is, the first 30 years of that. It's important because think about it, the first 30 years without Jesus, Jesus is not walking around anymore. You know what Jesus is? Jesus is in the hearts of the people that are walking around and starting these churches, the churches that eventually get the word of God to places like, I don't know, Flower Mound, Texas. So it's important, the first 30 years. The events listed in the book of Acts are found nowhere else in the Bible. And that's why you'll find a lot of people bouncing back to the book of Acts. Like, I never knew that. No one told me that. When you read these letters, sometimes you bounce back over to Acts because you're like, okay, like this timeline will tell you. When you read the letters that Paul wrote, you can jump back over to Acts and you can be like, oh, so this is what was going on. This is what just went on. This is what's going to happen. And you get context, okay? The last thing I'm going to tell you about the book of Acts, it emphasizes the Great Commission. It emphasizes the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, Jesus was very clear about what his followers were to do, and they were to go. They were to rise and go, make better followers of Christ. And so that's what the book of Acts is all about. It's about the going. It's about the rising and the going. And this is what we get to study this week to understand Paul. I found a real cool quote from Eugene Peterson, and it goes like this. It reminded me of the book of Acts, and then it kind of just filtered through the entire week of the lesson for me. It goes like this, the quote. The story of Jesus doesn't end with Jesus. The story of Jesus doesn't end with Jesus. It doesn't end with Paul, and it doesn't end with Titus, and it doesn't end with the Cretans, and it certainly doesn't end with us. But I think it's important for us to keep that in mind. Well, this week, you guys covered a lot of ground. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to be real happy. Ready? That was the most you're going to cover in a week for the rest of the whole class. Like next week, you're going to look at it and go, there's a typo. <laughs> there's one verse today. You're welcome. You're so very welcome. It's going to be good. But this week was the most ground you covered. You talked about Acts 21. You went all the way through Acts 23. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open it up. Um, that's what we're going to look at today is Acts 22. We're going to cover a portion of this. Now, what was happening at the time, and, and I'm going to back up a little bit behind where you started reading, and I'm going to cover a little bit of what you read, but I want to give you some background before we launch into Paul talking about his history, his transformation, and his mission, because he gets real specific with the people that are listening to him, and he tells them this is very specific information that Jesus gave him, and he's going to share it with this, this group of people. So Acts 22 is where we're going to start, but backing up. Let me give you a little perspective. Did anybody, did anybody start reading 
and go, I, don't, I gotta know what's going on, these people are crazy, and go back and read a little bit higher. I do that sometimes. That's always a good thing to do, go back and read up a little bit more, up a little bit more. Well, here's in a nutshell what was going on, just to get your perspective right, okay? Paul had just traveled back to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey, and he was given updates to James. Does anybody know who James is? Jesus' brother. How cool is that? Like his biological brother. And he was in ministry as well. And so they, he comes back into Jerusalem. They're kind of having this powwow. They're talking about what happened. And then the Jews all of a sudden got in this crazy uproar. And here's why. Because they knew that Paul was ministering to um, Gentiles. And they accused him of bringing them into the temple. Now, something to note at this time. Roman government covered all of this area. Roman government, they were under Roman rule. But here's what the Roman government did. They knew these Jewish people were, kind of had their own thing going. And so you know what the, the Roman government would do often? It was they would let the leaders of the Jewish faith, of the Israelites, they'd kind of say, hey, you know what, handle your own business, handle your own people over there, and we're just going to do our thing. You pay your taxes, you do what you're supposed to do, and you guys can handle your own people. We, we don't want to have to deal with that. So in this case, the church, excuse me, the temple, this was the Jewish temple, they had all these rules, and they were written up on the wall, and it said things like Gentiles can't come in here and worship. And so they think Paul brought Gentiles into the temple. And so they go to the Roman rulers, and the Roman rulers are like, that's your problem, man. And so then they go back, and they're like, we got to find this guy and kill him because that's against the law. Okay? So that's what's happening. So this, this fine, upstanding Pharisee that he's been for all these years, now they're like, what's up with Paul? I mean, he's like teaching to these, these other people, these people that are not us, that don't look like us, that don't talk like us, that don't come from where we come from. I don't like it. And so there's this crazy uproar, okay? So Paul is seized by these Jewish leaders. They have intent to kill him. There's complete chaos, and it's a violent riot. So when you get into this part where he calls a hush over the crowd, remember this. It wasn't just like hanging out at, at, you know, at Grapevine Mills Mall and everybody's bustling around and everybody stops. It wasn't like that at all. It was a mad group of people that were just emotionally charged and ready to take somebody down for things they didn't understand and they didn't like. So he's seized by the Jewish leaders. They have intent to kill him. But, this is what's so crazy, a case of mistaken identity actually saves him from death, from the mob, and gets him arrested by the Roman guards. Did you ever think, there was probably a moment where he's like, oh man, I'm super glad I just got arrested. Who said, who said that this week? Anybody? No. Don't raise your hand. It'd be real awkward. But that's the case. Like this case of mistaken identity, this arrest actually saved him from death. Not a coincidence. I don't believe. He then speaks to the guard in what language? Do you remember what language he spoke to the guard in? Greek. In Greek. And you know what that meant? That didn't just meant, mean he was bilingual. It meant that he was educated. And he was important. And it also proved that he was a Roman citizen, which changes everything. You see, at the time, you could be of Hebrew descent, which Paul was, but also be a Roman citizen. Not everybody had that. It had to do with where you were brought up and how you were brought up and all these things. But it was an important thing. It was like this weird dual citizenship thing that, was, that, was, that, that gave respect. And, and he had a voice. And so there he is talking to the, the guard. And not only does he talk to the guard, he says, I'm not the Egyptian, which the guard's like, yeah, duh. You, yeah, I get that now. Okay, we're good. But then he says this, and I, I hope, you, hope you found this in your little observations as well. He says this, I beg you, 
to let me speak to the people. Now, he's Paul, and he knows he's on mission from God. He knows that, that he has something to say, and it's important. But you know what he doesn't do? He, he doesn't disrespect this man that has him locked up. He, he respects him. I beg you. And then Paul gets to speak up, and that's where we're going to start. So open with me, if you haven't already, to Acts chapter 22. And we're going to start, actually, we're going to back up just a tiny bit. We're going to start in um, chapter 21, verse 40. And I'm going to read a little bit into um, chapter 22. This is where we're talking about Paul's history. Okay, Paul is going to take this moment because he is asked. He hasn't asked. He's begged to speak to these people who five seconds ago wanted to kill him. Okay, you with me? Verse 40, chapter 21. And when he had given him permission, that's the guard giving him permission to go out and speak to these crazy people, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hands to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Do you love that? Remember, every word, every word in the Bible means something. And so it's very specific here. Luke is making sure we understand that he spoke the language of the people. Okay, don't miss that. For, uh, chapter 22, verse 1, he says this, And brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. Cil Cil I always mess this up. Cilicia. But brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, and according to the strict manner of law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way. I'm going to pause. When you see the term way, especially when it's capitalized like this, know this, that's a direct quote from Jesus. Because in, when Jesus was having his ministry here on earth, he said, I am the what? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And that's how you get to God is through me. And so they are quoting him. So this early following of Jesus Christ, they referred to it as the way because they were quoting Jesus. Okay. All right. Unpause. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there. And bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. He's giving them the history of who he is. And I love the fact that it all starts with a hush. That immediately he gets in. He, he earns the right to be heard. He speaks their language. And he does it in a lot of different ways as we get through this section. But he's earning the right to be heard. And now this crazy mad mob who's carrying sticks and rocks has stopped and paused. And they're listening to what Paul has to say. The story of Jesus doesn't end with Jesus, does it? Paul's goal is always, always, always winning others to Christ. You're going to see it over and over. Even here this week in Acts, you're going to see it over and over in, in all of Titus and in all of Philemon. You're going to see it. All he wants is to win people to Christ. That, that blew my mind a little bit. I'm going to tell you right now. Because I'm thinking, Chris, if people were throwing rocks and wanting to kill me five minutes ago, how would I address them? Would I try to relate to them or would I be mad? Would, would I want revenge or would I want to share love? 
I, I, this blows my mind because this is another one of those moments where this is only God. Only God can do this in the heart of a man. Only God. Well, no matter what, no matter how, no matter where, when, why, how, whatever, he only wants to win others to Christ. He speaks to his audience. He says, this is who I was and this is where I came from. There's a couple things I noticed, and, I, and I'm going to share those with you about this one section, this one part where he's sharing his history, and then we're going to move on to his transformation. The first is that Paul um, validated who they were. He validated his audience as he's speaking to these people about his history and letting God use his history. He's validating the listener, isn't he? He speaks in their language, Aramaic. And the second thing, he gains their respect. When we hear that there was a great hush, I love how the message says it. The message says it this way. No one wanted to miss a word. Have you been in those places where somebody says something and says it in a certain way and all of a sudden everybody is listening? That's what happened in this moment. The third thing is that Paul created community. In sharing his history, he was able to say, hey man, I'm not that different from you. He called them brothers and fathers. Now remember, knowing what just happened like five hot minutes ago, they wanted to kill him. He was in prison to be protected from dying, and he calls them brothers and fathers. I am in community with you. I'm not that different. He goes on to tell them, he goes on to, to earn the right to be heard, and this is how. He says, this is who I am, this is where I came from, here's my pedigree, here's who taught me. Now that name that you saw there, I kept calling him Gammy all week because that just felt funny. Okay, he was the most celebrated rabbi of the day. And so Paul's, I'm not kidding with you, Paul's name dropping, just a touch. Because these people would know who that was. And, and he was very select and very um, highly esteemed in the Jewish community. And so to know that he sat at his feet and was trained by that guy, they got to listen now. And the last thing I noticed about this history part was that, that Paul then did this. He incited interest, didn't he? In verse 5 it says, I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them to the bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. And it's like, I hear, but wait, there's more. So like in this moment, in this history, they're identifying with him, aren't they? Don't you think at this moment there's a lot of amen, brother? I mean, maybe not, but you know, they get him. They're like, we got the wrong guy. This is, this is our guy. Well, Paul uses his personal history for God's glory. Paul is always, always seeking to win others to Christ. And so even in the way he phrases all of his history, which I might add, this is something to think about. When he's sharing his history here, do you think he shares his history the same way when he goes to the Gentile nations and shares his history? I bet it's real different. I bet it's really, really different. Because remember, he, he's chasing after people and trying to kill them before the road to Damascus, before his transformation. And so he's probably not as open with, with what he was doing for God as he is with these people. He knows his audience. Our story remains the same, but sometimes the retelling of the story might be a little different because we have to make sure that we engage our audience. And that's what he's doing. After Paul lays out his history, he moves on to share his transformation. And this is where I wish I could be a fly on the wall. I would like to be there when all these people are like, yeah, preach it, brother. Say it. You're on the way to Damascus, taking everybody down. And then all of a sudden he goes into this part. I'm curious of what the hush felt like at that moment. W were there whispers? Like, were people like going, hey, man, this guy is messed up. Like, what happened? Or were their hearts being changed? Or were there people that saw his life and thought, that could 
only the, the God of the universe could only make this change. I don't know. But, but think about it as we read through this next part. His transformation, his Damascus arrival. Well, it starts in verse 6, and it goes through verse 16. Just follow along with me. He goes on to tell him about his Damascus arrival, and he says this. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, those who were with me saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, well, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me and came into Damascus. Verse 12, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, standing by me, and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight, and I saw him. Verse 14, and he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. I cannot imagine what the crowd must have thought now. Can you even imagine? His Damascus arrival. Paul, um, you know, he was going into Damascus to kill and imprison Christians. And he knew that he was going there. And he knew what his objective was. It was his plan. But on the way, God knocked him off his horse, blinded him, transformed him. And his minions brought the blind, wrecked Paul to Damascus. That was God's plan. He arrived in a real different way than he had planned, didn't he? Uh, I... I I think through this and I think about those Damascus arrivals in our lives, those moments where we arrive at a certain place and we get there and we're like crossing the finish line and we're like, wait, that was not how I thought I was going to get here. That's what Paul is retelling to the people who are hushed and listening. There's a couple things to note about this part, his transformation part, that I wanted to share with you. Um, the first is this, that, that something that bothered me was... was I didn't like, I don't know how you felt, I didn't like the fact that the people that were with him didn't hear the voice too, right? Did that bother you? They saw the light and then what did they hear, like Charlie Brown's mom, wah, 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 wah. I don't know, I don't know what they heard, but they didn't hear the same thing that Paul did and they weren't transformed in the same way that Paul was and that bothered me, but, but let me put you at ease about something, um, that sometimes we don't get to hear the story, sometimes we don't get the whole entire story. In God's word, it happens a lot. You'll just hear one little thing and it's just gone and you wonder. We don't know what happened to those guys. We don't know how their lives were transformed. And so I hold on to the hope that they were. They led him to Damascus. I love that. But it's interesting that sometimes a great light around me, as Paul says, a voice that says to me, sometimes can make me doubt it. Does that make sense to you? Do you ever have those moments where you feel pretty certain that God is telling you to do something, maybe not in an audible God voice with a big shining light, maybe it's just in, in a person that he's brought into your life or a circumstance that you feel certain he's drawing you towards a certain way to handle it, 
And then you do this. You look from side to side and you go, did you see that? Did you, did you hear that? And you look for confirmation from people, don't you? Sometimes they're not going to hear what you hear. That was convicting to me. I need to rest in the fact that God is God and he's good at it. And sometimes what he has to say to me, he doesn't have to say to you. And sometimes, I mean, you're probably getting that in your homework when you discuss it, right? Are you like, somebody will say something, you'll be like, did we read the same thing? But it's so cool, isn't it, that God loves you so much that he knows right where you are, that he knows what you need to hear. That's what I hear when I read this. Instead of being discouraged about those who didn't hear the voice, I'm encouraged by the fact that God knew exactly where they were and what he was going to do with their lives. Well, the second thing I I noticed was that he used Paul's name, Saul. He said Saul twice. Did you see that? When Jesus responded directly to him, he said, Saul, Saul, right? I want you to know something that I learned that was fascinating to me. There's only 10 times in in the Bible, in the whole Bible, excuse me, where names are used two times in a row. Only 10 times. Every time it's to get attention. Every time, it's to point out a new beginning. When things are in the Bible that you see like that, it's not a typo. There's purpose. And so in this moment, he needed to listen up, right? A couple other times that you might remember or you might recognize that that struck me when I started looking into the the name repeated, what that means, is um, in in Exodus 3-4, there was a guy named Moses, And there was a bush on fire. And the bush said to him, Moses, Moses. And it was God um, calling him to lead the nations. And and that would be the beginning of this amazing um, leadership out of slavery into the wilderness. And then into promised land. And it's from a burning bush. And then in, in Luke 10, verse 41, this one. Who remembers this one? Martha, Martha. You worry about so many things. Anybody? Any Marthas in the room? That's Jesus telling Martha that she needs to be more like her sister and sit at the feet of Jesus and quit doing all the things. Who needed to hear that today? Luke 22, verse 31, Simon, Simon, that's Jesus telling Peter, you're going to betray me. And then one that you probably already know, Mark 15, 34, Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's Jesus calling out to his father on the cross. So don't miss the fact that when Paul is spoken to by the God of the universe who stepped down into this world and speaks to him and says his name twice, it's a new beginning and it's important for him to listen up. Well, the third thing I noticed about this transformation section is this, that, that, that Jesus answers Paul. Did you see that? He answers Paul when he asks Now, there's a couple different ways that I saw that because, first of all, in verse 10, I see him say, what shall I do, Lord? And and Jesus responds, rise and go. Rise and go. He's very clear. Sometimes Jesus answers us with unmistakable clarity, doesn't he? Sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't. When I was, gosh, I don't remember when this was. Um, I, I was teaching some, I was doing like a little summer Bible study with some young girls in the summertime, and they would come over to my house, and I'd go through these little Bible lessons, and we'd have like jello and play Barbies and do the whole thing, you know, I was like, this is awesome. We're t-. Well, I had like these second graders, and um, I was teaching them the lesson about uh, when Peter steps out of the boat, and he steps onto the water, and Jesus on the other side, when he's looking at Jesus, he's walking on water, and when he looks down, what happens? He sinks. 
Easy, right? Easy peasy. Second graders, no problem. Theology, second graders, I can do this. I'm thinking, okay, you guys got that? He's looking at Jesus. Everything was okay. When he stopped looking at Jesus, he started sinking. But you know what was amazing? Was this sweet little girl who came from this family who didn't, was an unchurched family and came with her friend and probably heard there was cupcakes and just came and was precious. And she raises her hand and says, Miss Chris, Miss Chris, I have a question. I'm like, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, second graders, I can do this, right? Mm. Best question I've ever been asked in all the years that I've ever been in Bible study in my whole life. She said, okay, but, okay, but, now Jesus isn't here walking around, and we can't see him, so what do I do then? What do I do when I can't see him? Oh, man, that was the best question. You know what? I, I didn't know what to say. And I still, I'm going to be straight with you. Sometimes it's really hard, isn't it, when we don't have a physical presence of who he is right in front of us. But I'm going to tell you this. He answers when we ask. It may not be a loud, booming voice with a big light on a, on a road and you go blind. It may not look like that. Sometimes it looks like this. Sometimes it looks like a guy named Ananias. Do you have those people in your world? Do you have those people where you are asking and begging for God to do something and he sends somebody? You know, that's an answer. Jesus gives us these Ananiases in our lives. Sometimes through, through wise, faithful followers, we come to know him in a deeper way. We come to get answers. We come to find out where we're supposed to go because of those people. Ananias. This is what I love about Ananias. And you can learn more about him if you go back and read Acts 9. There's a whole big thing about him. But right here, Paul just gives kind of a brief information about him. But you know what I gleaned just from that? He's this. Ananias did this. He came. He showed up. You know what happens in Acts 9 if you go back and read? Jesus says to him, hey, you're going to go deal with this guy that's like a murderer. He, he likes to kill Christians. You're Christian, right? Okay, fine. All right, you're going to go and you're going to minister to this guy. What do you think Ananias was thinking? What? But you know what he did? He, he rose and he went. And he showed up for Paul. He showed up. He stood by him. He called him brother. Think about it. He knew what Paul had just been doing, and he called him brother. He came. He stood by him. He called him brother. He was obedient to Jesus. He gave direction and shared wisdom. He echoed Jesus. Do you have people in your life that echo Jesus? If you don't, look to your left and your right because they're in this room, and you need to get them. If you've got people that echo the world, you're in trouble. He answers us through the Ananiases of this world, guys. Well, the goal before Damascus, before all this happened, was that Paul wanted to eradicate Christians unless they compromised to the Jewish faith and went back to where they were supposed to go and start obeying the rules and doing all the things. That's what was going to happen. But after Damascus, the goal became this. In Romans 10, verse 1, that's another letter that Paul wrote over the course of his life. He says this, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Everything that Paul does is to win people to Jesus. Everything from the minute he came off that horse changed. Goal before Damascus, eradicate, compromise, imprison, kill. Goal after Damascus, win them to Jesus Christ so they may be saved. If you live a life that relies on you and your plan, and your, your Damascus arrival, you got a plan, you got to set out, you're on your horse, you're on the road, you got your people, 
if you rely on your plan and you trust in your plan that when those Damascus arrivals occur of your life that are going to discourage you and defeat you and you're going to fight for control. It's going to happen. Your plan is not his plan. His Damascus arrival is better than yours. I started thinking through this, and this was funny. Last night, I showed up last night to teach because I teach this in the night before. And I showed up, and I was like, man, I don't have a good example. I don't know what I'm going to say. And so on the way there, I was praying, God, I need a good example of some Damascus arrivals that happen in my life. What are those ways that, that God takes me to a place that he had planned all along, but that was not the way I planned to get there? And, and, and then he just starts flooding me with things. The first was this. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't ask permission. Okay, we'll just pray that she loves me anyway and forgives me. One of my friends last night, she was running around. I showed up for Bible study. We get here early. We're kind of walking around the building, getting everything sent. She's running around. She's walking like super fast. Like everything is just really intense. And I'm like, what is happening right now? And she goes, it's a levy emergency. And I'm like, oh, a levy emergency. She has a little and he has a levy and levy is lost. Anybody relate? Yeah, I know. I've never seen so many heads nodding in my life. And all the time of teaching the Bible, you guys are like, yes, lovey emergency. She's trying to find it. She's calling her husband. We can't find the lovey. And she's supposed to go teach and lead her group and all this stuff. Anyway, long story short, I'm standing there and I'm like, is this one of those, is this one of those things? Like, are you talking to me right now? Because my first thought was this. Of course, I have kids in high school and college, so I'm past lovey stage, okay? Uh, so I don't have a lot of compassion left. I'm just going to confess that. All right. We had woofies and puppy uppies, right? Like, I got through it. it. You'll live. You'll be fine. Lovey emergency. So I look at her and I say this, which is, I don't recommend this. This is not loving and kind, but it was, it was good for me in the moment. I said, hey, did you ever think that maybe Lovey's gone because it's time to be done with Lovey? And she looked at me like, don't you go there. <laughs> I will cut you. It was funny. By the way, Lovey was found, so this whole thing doesn't even matter, but... But it was funny because it was like, okay, you're going to get to a place where Lovey's gone, right? You're going to get to a place where the kid's got to, I mean, he's got to be in high school and he can't carry Lovey to high school. And so maybe this is God's way of moving you to that place and you weren't planning on it. And she's like, I don't think so. Okay, so, no, not, not with Lovey. And then I started thinking, okay, Lord, what are those, those Damascus arrivals in my life? You know, one is for me, um, and I've said it before, but, uh, but it's part of who I am. It's, it's um, the first time I went to Bible study. I was doing the math, which I don't do math very often. 20 years ago, I went to my first Bible study, and you know why I went? Because one of my best friends who'd been hounding me to sign up for ages got diagnosed with cancer. And you know what? I went to Bible study with her, and it was the wrong reason. <laughs> I felt bad because she got cancer. I'm like, I can't say no anymore. I got to go. But you know what happened? God brought me to Bible study. And, and then I look, and I'm like, 20 years later, I'm standing here like, what? He wanted me here. That's not how I wanted to get here. But I did. I talked to another friend on the phone as I was pulling in the parking lot last night because her story came to mind. She's a friend of mine who just had a new baby, has been recently married, has a great job, loves her life. But you know what her life looked like 10 years ago? She was in prison. She was in prison because she was addicted to drugs. And not only was she addicted to drugs, she got tied up with people that were dealing. And so then she went down for dealing drugs and ended up in prison. And she was a sweet, precious cheerleader who grew up in the area and knew Jesus. And she was in prison. 
But you know what's crazy about her life, Randy? And I said, I won't use your name. She goes, use my name. It's the glory of God. You tell people. Here's what's cool about her life is she knew Jesus, but she set him on a shelf and kind of went about her life and did her thing. But you know what happened when she got into prison, when she was locked up and there was nothing else? She found him again. And she will say, and she will stand up here and say, I am here today because he let me go to prison. And I went to prison. I found Jesus. I got out. My life was changed. I met the love of my life. And now I have a baby. Damascus arrival. That's not how she would have planned it. What is the thing that's going on in your life that you're like, this is not my plan, God. And God's going, my plan's way better. Just hold on. Buckle up. Lean in. It's not easy. When those Damascus arrivals happen, don't settle and don't wrestle and don't quit. Because here's the thing. Don't quit because his plan might get hard and his plan might get confusing or hard or painful or hard or unclear or hard or restless or hard. Because it most certainly will. I bet Paul, I wonder, how many times did Paul go, this is my life? This is how I arrived at Damascus. This is crazy stuff. I I know that we have those moments. I just urge you to look for the fact that there is a God who can create an arrival that's so much bigger and better than you could ever plan. And it may hurt and you may get bruised and broken along the way. But he's going to have you arrive in this moment and you're going to see it all for what it was. Damascus arrival. Well... I went on and on about that. I'm going to move into the mission. He shared, that was his transformation. I got to Damascus. This is what I got to. I can't imagine what the crowd is thinking. And then he finishes his talk with speaking about his mission. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read it to you, but in verse 17 through 21, he lays it out. He talks about how he is being, he's going to be rising and going to the Gentile nations, isn't he? Over and over you see it in the course of this text. You see all these rise and go moments. Chapter 22, verse 10. What shall I do, Lord? What does he say? Rise and go. Chapter 22, verse 16. Through the words of Ananias, he echoes the words of Jesus. And he says, rise and be baptized. And remember, when he says, go be baptized, being baptized is not what saves him. Being baptized is an outward display of what he believes and knows because of his relationship with Jesus. So in essence, he's saying, go and tell everybody what Jesus did. Rise and go. Chapter 22, verse 18, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly. If Jesus says to you, make haste and get out quickly, I think you pack your stuff and get on on moving, right? Like, what? Get up and go. Chapter 22, verse 21, and he said to me, again, Jesus, go. And then you fast forward, and in Acts 23, verse 11, the Lord is standing by him and says this. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. It's time to go. He's spoken to these folks. It's time to go. The goal before Damascus, Christians eradicated. The goal after Damascus, that everyone is saved. How do you know the goes in your life? How do you know? I'm telling you right now, he's telling you to rise and go. What does that look like? Well, it's hard, isn't it? 
It's hard because just like the little second grader, we don't have Jesus standing in front of us going, look at me, look at me. Sometimes it's really hard, but let me give you a couple practical things that you can do to try to figure out where are those rise and go moments that he has for you right now. I'll tell you what, write these two words down, ready? Pray and watch. Pray and watch. Pray and watch for the doors that slam shut. For the jobs that end, relationships that are severed, and for the times that comfort is removed from your world. Pray and watch for passions, for openings. And, and let me just say this. Don't say, don't say things are coincidences and don't say they're luck. Because I don't believe in that and I don't think you should either. Because we, we love a God of the universe who is in control of every single thing and knows every single thing. And you're not here by accident. And these things didn't happen to Paul because they just happened to happen to Paul. If God can make the sun stand still in the sky, if he can send his son to come down to earth and put on skin and be a man and walk around and live and die for you, you know what? It's not a coincidence that I said it. Watch for openings. Watch for those divine appointments. Watch for the moments that maybe all along he's been standing there going, hey, this is your rise and go moment and you're missing it. Pray and watch for his word to confirm, to redirect, and to highlight. And this is the biggest one. I would say this. In those moments where you have no idea, I would suggest this. Pray and watch for what he's already doing and then go join him. Sometimes it's not as hard as we think to know where we're supposed to go. Sometimes it is. And I will I, I tell you, I live the same thing. Rise and go moments are flooding our lives, though, guys. And we just let the noise and the busyness keep us from praying and watching. Are you praying and watching? I mean, you're here, and I love that you're here, and you're studying God's word, and I love that you're studying God's word. But, but, but may I say this? The, the, the way, the following of Jesus is more than reading a book. It's more than understanding history. It's more than memorizing scripture. You know what it is? It's a relationship with a God that loves you more than anybody. Think of the person that loves you the most in the whole wide world. Whole wide world might be your dog. Me it is. He loves you more. He loves you more. He loves you more even though you have these dark things that you're hiding and you put on your pretty outfit and you pretend like aren't happening. He loves you even then. Well, I'm going to close with this. And... um. I hope you think about our Paul and you think about this life and you think about him standing in front of these brutal, angry, rioting people who want to kill him. And he stands up and says, this is my history. God's going to use it. This is where everything changed for me. And this is where I chose to follow him and rise and go. And I hope that your life looks that way. I suspect as you go through this book, as you go through this letter, that you're going to see Paul popping up all over your life. Use it and let God inspire you with it. The story of Jesus doesn't end with Jesus. The story of Jesus doesn't end with Paul. The story of Jesus doesn't end with us. We're part of this. Paul had a transformed life as a Christ follower, and it was far from perfect. Anybody have a far from perfect life? Don't raise your hand. I know you all know. Well, he was devoted despite the cost. And there's a couple of things. You can jot this down if we want to go look. Um, in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 33, he shares, that's another letter he wrote to the Corinthian church. And he shares some things about himself, and I paraphrased him, and I want you to hear this. As you go into reading his words of encouragement to Titus, you know this about your author. You ready? 
He has endured despite being constantly at risk. He was betrayed, abandoned, broken, exhausted, sleepless, hungry, thirsty, cold, and at times naked. He was beaten up countless times with rods, rocks, many times near death, many times by his own people. He suffered multiple imprisonments, three shipwrecks, difficult journeys in cities, wildernesses, and seas. He's been worried and anxious daily because of his deep love and concern for the people of God, for the Christian churches that were cropping up. He was given a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan to hinder him and remind him who he was. That's Paul. Paul's words in Philippians 1.21, another letter he wrote to some folks to encourage them. He says this, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's Paul. Who are you? What do you think about all of this? Where does he want to use your history as part of his story? Because your history matters. You don't have to camp there, mind you, but it matters. What are those Damascus arrival moments in your life right now that you are fighting for the reins out of God's hands? And he's saying, man, just trust me. We're going to get there. It's just going to look different. And will you look for those rise and go moments? Will you pray and watch? They're everywhere. I hope you know this. It is not an accident that you're here. And I know I say it a lot, but I believe it. And so I'm going to say it again and again and again. It's not an accident that you're here. You are here for a reason. You are here for a reason. You are here for a reason. What is it? What does he want you to know about who he is? And how does he want you to go live that out? Ask him. I'm going to pray. And as you walk out the door, don't forget that um, there are going to be these papers. Our sweet, sweet welcome ladies and um, our RHP and our, all the other people are going to be handing these out to you. Grab one as you go. It's a little just a synopsis of Paul's life. And be inspired and know that he's your Paul. He's your guy. You're going to know him very well over the next 11 weeks. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, life is hard. Sometimes we don't see Jesus. Sometimes we don't see where we're supposed to go. Sometimes we don't understand. Sometimes our Damascus arrivals, we are like, we are like bruised and broken and bleeding and, and threadbare, and we just don't even know how we're going to crawl and make it. But Lord, I ask you on behalf of everybody in this room today, will you, will you remind them and will you be very real with them, that you're with them in it. That you know where they are, you see them, you love them. And God, you have great things for us. But great things look different than the way the world describes great things. Sometimes great things are, 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 are broken relationships, our prodigals, our, our marriages falling apart, our terrible diagnosis. Sometimes those are the places we find you, God. And so for all the girls that are here today, because they have a Kim like I had, Lord, thank you for their willingness to be here and show them that this is less about their Kim and more about what you're going to do in their lives. Will you transform us like you did, Paul, and show us where you want us to rise and go, God. Thank you that you trust us. Thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.